You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. The province is taking steps to crack down on condo flipping in BC. All buyers now being entered into Canada's first registry to help track and bring transparency to pre-sale property transactions. Tanya Beja has more on how it works to help close a loophole that's been exploited for years. Downtown Vancouver is a hub of construction, new homes going up, and the province wants to make sure it knows who is buying them. And we said when we were elected, we were going to be bold about addressing the housing crisis. This is another one of those steps that we're taking to make sure that there's transparency and the people are paying their fair share. The B.C. government launching a registry to track the resale of condos before they're complete, otherwise known as pre-sale flipping. Developers will have to report the identities and citizenship of sellers and buyers cracking down on tax evasion. What this does is it ensures that people who should be paying the tax are actually paying the tax. It allows government to track it rather than it being on a voluntary basis. A lack of transparency has made it difficult to know how many assignments are flipped each year and whether sellers are paying the appropriate income, capital gains and property transfer taxes. We just know that pre-sale assignment flips over the last couple of years I think have been a pretty significant portion of the market, um, especially when there's a limited supply and people become more desperate to get into something. While experts applaud the move, they also suggest it comes a few years too late as a once hot market is now cooling, leaving buyers with more options. Uh, buyers just have more choices. So when you have more choices, you're less inclined to go with something more risky like a pre-sale assignment. There's a lot more unknowns. The pre-sale registry was set up as part of the province's plan to address housing affordability. Industry insiders say it doesn't tackle that bigger issue. We need to be able to build more home choices. You know, the, you know there's, we're not building enough for the amount of people that are moving here. And just how much BC stands to gain in taxes from the flipping of units in those buildings will become clear after developers file their reports to the province in April. Tanya Beja, Global News. With a long shot, scores! Went right. One of the few goals scored by defenseman Eric Goodbranson, who is now heading to the Pittsburgh Penguins in a last-minute trade deal. Squire Barnes joins us now with a look at this deal, what it means for the team, too. He was a bit of a surprise on the trading block. Well, I think he, his name came up because the Pittsburgh Penguins ran into injury problems. They needed a veteran defenseman fast, mm -hmm. so Goodbranson was there, and I think the Canucks were all too happy to get rid of him. Branson just never seemed to work out with the Vancouver Canucks, and he's right now the worst plus-minus in the NHL. So, Not a stat you're proud of. No, good guy, but he even admitted that he wasn't happy with the way he played at Vancouver. What's the status of uh, Alex Edler? Edler is still a Vancouver Canuck. Some teams asked about Alex Edler today. Would the Canucks be willing to trade him? Mm -hmm. But, of course, he has a no-trade clause, which means any deal has to go through Edler, and Edler said, no, I don't want to leave. That's always a danger of the no-trade clause in a contract. He also doesn't have a new contract with the Canucks. They haven't been able to work that out yet either. Good to know a player's happy here, but uh, there's a lot, a lot more going on in that deal. It would be nice to move some of the veterans and get some more young pieces and draft picks. I know more coming up in sports. Squire, thanks yep. very much for the time. Okay. All right, it is by-election day here in B.C., and while typically interest in by-elections is pretty low, this time around is proving different, and here's why. The NDP's Jagmeet Singh needs to win Burnaby South to secure a seat and likely his future as leader of the party. 
Richard Zussman explains what's on the line and why none of the parties will be taking anything for granted. Opening the day with a roadside rally, NDP leader Jugmeet Singh greeting voters with a good morning. All of it an attempt to make tonight a good night. Well, I'm really confident with what we've done, the work we've put in. I'm really confident that we'll do well tonight, we'll win tonight. Singh trying to finally secure his seat in the House of Commons after 18 months as NDP leader sitting on the sidelines. Whoa. Standing in his way in Burnaby South, Liberal candidate Richard T. Lee, the former four-term MLA looking to use his Victoria experience to land him a job in Ottawa. We work very hard. You can see the energy here every day. We are knocking at doors. It's been a race of headlines, hard to ignore for voters streaming to the polls. Singh moving from his home in Ontario to run in Burnaby South. Then original Liberal candidate Karen Wang resigning after telling voters they should vote her, a Chinese-Canadian in, over Singh, who is of, quote, Indian descent. Born and raised here, and I, can, I can't afford to live here, and I don't think that's fair. Hopefully, somebody somewhere will realize people with health problems need help. The biggest issue at play has been affordability in housing, with rent evictions, low rental vacancies, and sky-high prices a serious concern. Conservative candidate Jay Shin hoping to pull off the upset by attacking the federal Liberals over deficit budgets. If the tax burden is going to only go, it's only going to grow uh, with interest, and which burden is going to be passed on to our children? The race also features the first foray for the People's Party of Canada, a new right-wing party being represented by candidate Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson. Because speaking truth has become an act of courage. But in the end, it all comes down to sing. His win would give him a chance to challenge Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in question period. A loss would lead to questions about his electability and could lead to his party ousting him as leader. All of this with a federal election looming in October. And there is a lot of confidence here at the headquarters for Jugmeet Singh in Burnaby South. Things are still getting set up here. The expectation is that Jugmeet Singh will take that stage soon after the results are known. Party insiders are predicting, of course, a victory. Polls, though, are still open for another hour or so. If you're in line by 7 p.m., you could vote in the Burnaby South by-election, so a little less than an hour to go. In terms of those that voted in advance, Chris, the turnout was about 7%, uh, which typically is pretty low, but higher than the other two jurisdictions that are having by-elections tonight. So we'll see what that means for overall turnout. And full by-election coverage coming up from you and some of the others in our crew. Thanks very much, Richard. We look forward to that. We've got some breaking news out of Ottawa right now, where Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has waived attorney-client privileged and cabinet confidence to allow Jody Wilson-Raybould, the BC MP, to speak openly when she appears before the House Justice Committee. This is all, of course, related to the SNC-Lavalin affair. So let's bring in Chief Political Correspondent David Aiken, working all night out in Ottawa. For more on this breaking news, David, what's your take on the Prime Minister's move? Did he have a choice here? Well, legally he did have a choice, but politically, no, he did not. Yeah, those who've been following this SNC-Lavalin affair know that it all revolves around accusations that Jody Wilson-Raybould, while she was the Solicitor General and Justice Minister, was came under undue or possibly illegal pressure to step in in a court case involving SNC-Lavalin. 
Now, we've heard from a lot of other people in this matter, the Prime Minister himself, last week from the Clerk of the Privy Council, the top bureaucrat in Ottawa, all of whom say there was no undue pressure here, but we haven't yet heard from Jody Wilson-Raybould. Why? Because she has said, I'm bound by solicitor-client privilege. She was the solicitor, the client was the government. Well, late tonight, in fact, just about an hour ago, the government, the Trudeau cabinet, said we're waiving solicitor-client privilege when it comes to matters about uh, uh, cabinet confidence. Jody Wilson-Raybould, you are free to speak. She could likely do that as early as Thursday. And that will be riveting to watch, too. Thanks very much, David. And we appreciate your participation in the by-election coverage coming up a little bit later as well. We'll talk to him again. Right now, though, medical health officers reporting today no new cases of the measles in Vancouver. The number of cases around Metro Vancouver remains at 13. The health authority says the two new cases over the weekend were contracted by people who had traveled internationally to places where the virus is active. Nine of the cases are connected to Vancouver's francophone school community. We don't anticipate a significant community transmission of measles. What we had was a cluster um, in a number of schools where there were some unimmunized children, but there, all, there was also close quarters as there are there is in schools. So um, we know that the vast majority of British Columbians are protected through immunization, and we don't tend to get um, ongoing transmission even after measles is introduced. Now, the poor rate of vaccination at some schools is having a very real impact on one young girl battling cancer. Sage has undergone multiple treatments and has now taken a break from chemotherapy. But even though she feels well enough to go to school, she can't. John Waugh spoke to her and her mom about the disappointment of missing out. This looks like this might fit. After four hard years of fighting cancer, Sage and her mother are unable to piece together what comes next. Her team doesn't have a treatment plan for her at this point. Got two pieces together. The only thing they can do is try and fill the unknown with the positive. While harsh rounds of chemotherapy are no longer an option, the eight-year-old was at least feeling well enough to start going back to school. So much of her childhood has been taken away. To see her just being a kid, like it just, my heart explodes when I drop her off at school and when I pick her up and I see like the look in her eyes. But a recent measles outbreak in Vancouver has stripped Sage of even this thin silver lining. Instead of being able to spend time at school with her friends, she's been stuck at home for weeks. I spoke with her team at Children's and they think that it makes sense to keep her home because um, it's just not worth the risk to her. Do you want to read this one? Sage was never able to get her second vaccination against measles because of her battle with cancer, the chemo and radiation, making her immune system even weaker. That's actually the, one of the populations that we are most worried about, and we have had cases of measles develop in people who uh, couldn't be protected through immunization because of a medical condition. The first measles case at a nearby school in Sage's neighborhood. Every new one brought forward means more places to avoid and more time with little socialization. It breaks my heart because um, she's been through so much and we don't know what's coming ahead. Fueling this mother's frustration is the fact a decision made by other parents could take away one of the few choices her daughter has been given so far. John Hua, Global News. Right now, though, a follow-up to a Global News exclusive and new developments in a B.C. woman missing and presumed dead in Peru. Her case in the headlines again because the man accused of killing Kimberly Kasatkin is now the subject of a national manhunt.
Romina Dea spoke to her Abbotsford family who just returned from Peru where they felt their fight for justice hit a wall. A partir de hoy, Christopher Franz Betoki. Christopher Franz Betoki is now one of the top 10 most wanted in Peru. It gave us great joy to see this. Kimberly Kasatkin's parents confident they're one step closer to justice now that there's a price on Betoki's head for any information leading to his arrest. 20,000 soles works out to almost 8,000 Canadian dollars, more than a year's salary for the average Peruvian. It brings me great satisfaction, and I feel really bad saying that. But finally, if he's innocent, let's prove it and find who did it. The Kasatkins, who live in Abbotsford, haven't heard from their daughter, Kimberly, since November 2016. Her partner, Betoki, has been charged with femicide, the killing of a woman under Peruvian law. Kimberly's body has never been found, but chilling surveillance footage reveals Betoki moving a heavy suitcase. Kimberly's body suspected to be inside. Betoki denies it, claiming it was camping gear. In the North American system, no body, no crime. But in our system, it's not. Because if we have enough evidence, we can't use that evidence to sentence him for feminicide. The couple's two young children, five and eight, are currently living with Betoki's mother in Peru. The Kasatkins say they tried to visit on this latest trip, but their calls were not returned. They are fighting for custody with the hope of bringing their grandchildren to Canada. We all love them and miss them and Everybody talks about them constantly. We don't feel like a complete family without them. According to court documents, Interpol in Lima has also been notified. All the Kasatkins can do now is wait. So it took five months to get this particular document issued. What it'll actually take to get him arrested, we don't know, but uh, we're, we're planning on buying a bottle of champagne when we get the news that, that he's actually back in jail. Romina Dea, Global News. B.C.'s police watchdog is investigating a fatal shooting in New Westminster. Shortly after 9.30 Sunday night, police were called to the back of the Walmart on Boyd Street for a report of a suicidal man believed to have a gun. When police arrived, the, sub- uh, the subject discharged the firearm and shots were also fired by New West police and an RCMP officer. The man, who was in his 50s, did not survive. No one else was hurt. Any witnesses are asked to contact the Independent Investigations Office. The damage from a windstorm that hit Horseshoe Bay two weeks ago is still lingering. Even after an extensive cleanup, styrofoam from the battered docks is now littering the shoreline and posing a threat to marine life. Linda Aylesworth reports. It certainly wasn't the first time there was a storm in Howe Sound, but the one that pounded Horseshoe Bay two weeks ago was unlike most. It was an unusual wind direction. People that have lived here for many, many years said it's the first time they've seen that intensity coming directly into the bay. Much of the damage, not just in Horseshoe Bay, but in other marinas, was hard to miss. Sunken boats and barges and fuel spills. That cleanup effort mostly completed. But there's another that continues. And then that twisting turning can just break apart the dock and then the polystyrene, the flotation, can start to break up. This is the result. Small beads of indestructible plastic. 
They float on the ocean uh, and they end up on beaches um, and they're not going to break down much further than that. Cleaning them all up, virtually impossible. And yet since the storm, volunteers have joined the effort, filling garbage bags full of them. We kind of estimate probably around that 300, 350 pounds of uh, the small little bits of styrofoam. It was a little bit tough, but we had a, we had a good crew. Their efforts are important because these floating polystyrene beads can be deadly to marine life. And guess what likes to feed at the surface? Uh, a lot of birds and ducks uh, and, uh, and some fish are going to view that and think, hey, that looks tasty. The solution? Replace polystyrene with more durable, longer-lasting forms of dock flotation. It's a trend that a growing number of marinas are investing in. In the meantime... Take a little bucket with you and if you've got children and just go ahead and pick up those little pieces of polystyrene because you are helping the environment, you're helping wildlife and saving a life. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. They're an iconic site around the B.C. legislature, but the days of Victoria's trademark cherry blossoms may be numbered. The capital city is considering a plan that would see sick and dying cherry trees replaced with native species instead. Kylie Stanton explains why. When the flowers start coming out in February, the people of Victoria have a tendency to brag. We're mowing our lawns now. We like to throw that in the face of all the Easterners. But this is the one thing that really signals a new season has sprung. I think they're beautiful and it's a true sign of spring in Victoria. The cherry blossom trees have become a Victoria trademark, lining the streets, creating a canopy of pink year after year. But their days could soon be numbered as the city moves ahead with its plan to replace the aging non-native species. We have to adapt to a changing climate and the summers are getting hotter and drier, that's a fact. And as that happens, some of the trees that are non-native species get stressed, including cherry trees. To be clear, the trees will only be removed if there is evidence the tree is causing significant damage or is endangering the public. The tree is dead or dying, or the tree is required to be removed to accommodate another approved initiative. Still, the little blooms are creating big controversy. Please leave them alone. They're beautiful. Oh, my God. Lisa, don't do it. I think they haven't thought it through clearly, and I think they should... Uh revisit that. Then there's the history. The trees were originally donated by the Japanese community nearly a century ago and now they're mobilizing planning to voice their opposition. Shock and disappointment is probably uh, the best way to describe it. Ironically, the first trees were planted in response to problems the city was having with its indigenous trees' root systems buckling the sidewalks. Over time, they've become a part of the city's landscape and a major tourist attraction. It would be a major loss for the city and for the citizens of uh, Victoria. The city insists the change will be gradual. It continues to plant ornamental trees where appropriate, but it remains committed to planning for the future. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Check out this epic pileup closing one of Ontario's busiest highways today. More than 70 vehicles, including trucks and a fuel tanker, caught in the collision on Highway 400 near Barrie, about 100 kilometers north of Toronto. Police say blowing snow and whiteout conditions blinded drivers. For hours, both directions of the route looked like an auto graveyard. The crash led to a diesel spill, which was brought under control. Ten people escaped the carnage with only minor injuries. 
The Saskatchewan coroner is calling for mandatory seatbelts on buses in the wake of the deadly Humboldt Broncos crash. The chief coroner's report makes six recommendations, including requiring seatbelts on all highway buses, tougher enforcement of trucking rules, and the creation of a mass fatality plan and improved victim ID system. Sixteen people were killed last April, most of them players, when a semi-truck barreled through a stop sign at a rural intersection and slammed into the junior hockey team's bus. Thirteen others on the bus were hurt. The National Transportation Safety Board is trying to figure out what caused a loaded Boeing 767 cargo plane flying for Amazon to drop out of the sky in Texas, killing the crew on board. Investigators are now doing a painstaking search in shallow, muddy water looking for those critical black boxes. To airboats and cadaver dogs, the urgent search for clues and one more victim still missing from Atlas Air Flight 3591, swallowed up by the marshy blackness of Trinity Bay. We join the search with the NTSB chief and Sheriff Brian Hawthorne. Pieces of the plane, large and small, bobbing in the water. We think somewhere in this area, right in here, is where it went in. It looks like it's splintered into a million pieces. It's, I guarantee, probably a million pieces, a good description. As the 767 began its final approach to Houston, air traffic controllers told the pilots there was wind and heavy rain ahead. Suddenly, at 6,000 feet, the plane dropped off radar as it went into a fast, steep nosedive, hitting the water in less than 10 seconds. Be looking for bodies. Be looking for bodies. Within minutes, local fishermen were searching for survivors, but they found only cardboard boxes and clothes from the cargo plane. Among the three crew members who died, Mesa Airlines Captain Sean Archuleta, who was in a jump seat catching a ride home. The debris field isn't wide, about a half a mile radius and only one to four feet deep water, which means it's very dark and brackish and muddy. Too shallow for divers. So investigators have been using acoustic listening devices, hoping to pick up the pingers from the submerged black boxes. So far, nothing. So far, no signs of the pingers or the black Boxes. That's correct. But tonight, still no hard clues about why Flight 3591 crashed. Tom Costello, NBC News, Anahuac, Texas. Incredible footage is emerging of a fire NATO in Western Australia. Video shared to Facebook by the Thompson Brook Volunteer Bush Fire Brigade shows flames soaring into the sky from a raging brush fire. The twister of flames and smoke occurs when turbulent conditions form wind vortices that suck in burning debris. A volunteer firefighter battling the flames last Tuesday caught the rare sight blazing through a pine plantation. Looks cool. In Health Matters tonight, the B.C. government announcing new resources to improve safety in the mining sector. The province is investing $20 million over three years to expand two mining divisions within the Energy and Mines Ministry. One will allow more frequent inspections to keep mines safe, the other will promote investment and get new projects built faster through an expedited permit approval process. The ministry is creating 30 new jobs over the next year to support the changes. The Mining Association has long advocated for increased resources for the ministry to, in order to ensure clarity, consistency and coordination in the permitting process and health and safety of our workers in the mine sites. This commitment by government to address the competitiveness and ensure that mine permits can be approved more timely is well um, received on behalf of the association. 
I, I used to work as a cleaner and I loved that job. I did spend quite a lot of my time imagining this. Oh, please wrap up. Right, okay. And, um, uh, How you. sweet was she? Olivia Colman, giddy in her acceptance and, um, speech at Sunday night's Academy Awards. Uh, the English so actor much. taking home the Best Actress Oscar for her work in The Favourite in a surprise win over Glenn Close. Rami Malek won Best Actor for his depiction of late Queen frontman Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody. Regina King earning Best Supporting Actress for If Beale Street Could Talk. And Marshala Ali walking away with Best Supporting Actor Oscar for Green Book. Alfonso Cuaron winning his fourth Oscar for Best Director for Roma and Green Book, scoring the top prize of Best Picture. Right after Christie's forecast, we'll show you how Vancouver helped haul in some of the hardware in L.A., but we'll check in with her right now. Seems like an abundance of sunshine these days, and no one is complaining, Chris. No, that's for sure. You need to keep those sunglasses handy because this is going to be the pattern all week long, if you can believe it, Chris. But it does mean cold, everyone. Yes, that Arctic air mass is not going anywhere. These are your current temperatures, so we're already starting to plummet. And we're seeing these outflow winds. They were stronger earlier today. We did have wind warnings. Those have ended. However, winds in the 60 to 70 kilometer an hour range from the Fraser Valley through that house down, sorry, the Fraser Valley through the Langley sort of White Rock area out towards the southern Gulf Island. How sound also in that with gusts up to 90 kilometers an hour. So potential for power outages, but it's not that we're really worried about. It's more so the cold. So the numbers on your left will be your overnight lows. The numbers on your right are the wind chill factors. So around Metro Vancouver, anywhere from minus 6 to minus 11, potentially even colder with those winds. And interior regions minus 20 to minus 25. That's without the wind chill in through the central interior and southern interior, minus teens for you. So yes, that Arctic air mass entrenched and it's only getting stronger and that's what's creating that outflow winds. We always get a flow of air from high to low off the coast and that's the outflow winds that we're seeing and as I mentioned, we're not going to see much of a change in this pattern. Sunshine all across the board tomorrow but temperatures still well below seasonal. Now these aren't record-breaking temperatures in that they're not record-breaking cold. It's the prolonged period of cold that is very interesting. This could be the entire month of February be the coldest February on record. And yes, get used to the sunshine, everyone. It's here to stay. And it does mean you'll probably see a number of these uh, sun dogs. And this was one from Fort St. James this morning. It's because of ice crystals in the air that's refracting the sunlight. What a great picture. Mm -hmm. Not the best picture, because that was at the Oscars last night. During Hollywood's most glamorous night, BC helped bring home some of that hardware. At last night's Academy Awards, a Vancouver-based animation team helped weave Spider-Man's win, while the local company that created the visual effects in First Man also scored an Oscar. Aaron MacArthur reports. And the Oscar goes to... First Man. It is the pinnacle of achievement for every filmmaker. Sunday night, one Oscar landed in Vancouver. And a big shout out to Michelle Eisenreich, River Porter, and all my people at DNIC Vancouver. Thank you. DNEG did all the visual effects work for First Man, blending old school mini models with modern techniques. The results speak for themselves. What a truly magnificent moment 
We did things a little bit differently on first man, so being recognized by the Academy is all the more special. Vancouver has become one of the leading hubs for visual effects and animations. It seems every year Oscars decorate the offices of at least one Vancouver company. Many of the most talented artists start here at the Vancouver Film School. Yeah, we've got great representation across uh, all the different categories of the, of the Oscars. It's really fun for us to watch and um, see our student success. Spider-Man into the Spider-Man. Vancouver Film School grads behind another Oscar this year. I'm the one and only Spider-Man. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse from Sony Pictures Imageworks. You're gonna love this. It can be a short hop from student to Academy Award winner. Yeah, it's amazing. It's right outside their door now. Like right around the corner, they're working on Oscar-winning, Oscar-nominated productions. And then their teachers are coming in, having said, hey, yeah, that show I just worked on, yeah, we just won an Oscar. Anyways, let's get back to work. Dean Egg has now won four Academy Awards, and there are dozens more hiding on closet shelves all over the city. Vancouver, a powerhouse, especially in animation and visual effects. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, it's video that went viral over the weekend, an Ontario dad deciding he wanted to know what his four-year-old was thinking during hockey practice. So he mic'd him up. Turns out young Mason has a lot, has a lot to say. Global's Camille Caramali paid a visit to the father and son. Let me go, old Pac-Man. In a way, little four-year-old Mason Rupke is what we all wish we could be. Sleeping when tired. I want to go McDonald's. Demanding food when hungry. I want to pee. And doing, really, whatever he wants. Which is probably why when his dad Jeremy mic'd him up and recorded him on the ice, the video resonated with so many people. I saw one comment, I said, Mason is my spirit animal. <laughs> it all started with a bit of curiosity. We would just see him turn to a friend and say something or skate up to a coach and say something and then skate away. So we were just kind of curious uh, what sort of things he was saying out there. So when dad looked at the footage, he was in for a nice surprise. What I was most surprised about was how much he talked to himself. He says whatever he's thinking, I guess. <laughs> sound bite after sound bite of hilarity. Everything from chasing friends to his commentary of the game. Posted Friday, the video has received more than 3 million hits, and that's not including the millions of social media and cable TV audiences. It's crazy that it's just gone so far. Like, we thought it would pop a little bit, but it just, it's amazing to see how many people that it's reached. Mason, though, wants to make one thing clear. I shooting the pucks. He's better than the skills he showcased in that viral video. Do you get tired at all playing? No. So I put him to the test. Sure enough, he scored goal after goal. No! With a little bit of help. Way to go, buddy. But assures us he's going to keep working on his game until we see him on TV again, this time in an NHL game. Camille Karamali, Global News. Future superstar. Well done, Mason. Keep talking. You know, every, every kid who's in sports, their big thing is let's go to McDonald's and it's all over. That's true, isn't it? Yeah. That clip Even alone might day, be worth a million I bucks. I know, he should get a job selling hamburgers That's on right. TV. Uh, okay, uh, sometimes a trade comes up in the NHL because something unforeseen happened. The Pittsburgh Penguins ran into injuries on their blue line. They were desperate for a veteran defenseman, so 
they called the Canucks. That led Vancouver to trade Eric Branson to the Penguins for winger Tanner Pearson. It's a deal that Branson did not expect, but it's one that works out for the Canucks because Goodbranson had become a huge disappointment here. Perhaps no play summed up Goodbranson's troubles more than this one. Getting caught behind the net against Carolina. Things have gone so badly for Goodbranson that he leaves the Canucks as the worst plus-minus player in the NHL right now. I think there's a couple reasons. One, you know, he had some injuries that kind of set him back. Um, and, you know, maybe the style of game we played wasn't a fit to, you know, his, his game. Um, you know, but he, you know, I got to give him credit. He stuck up for our guys. He fought for our team. Um, you know, he was a good penalty killer for us. Cole intercepts the clearing attempt. Here's a chance. Pearson deeks. He scores. Before becoming a Pittsburgh Penguin, Tanner Pearson was a big part of the LA Kings. He even won a Stanley Cup there in 2014. But his offensive numbers have gone way down this season. In fact, he has just one goal in his last 16 games. But the Canucks obviously feel a new uniform might bring back the old Pearson. Um, we think that he's going to be a good fit with either playing with Petey or Bo. And, you know, he's just another guy that can score for us. So uh, when that came, you know, across my my desk, you know, and we talked to Jim Rutherford about it. Um, we talked to our guys, and we just figured that, you know, we're getting a good hockey player here back. Now, Good Branson wasn't the only Canucks defenseman teams were calling Jim Benning about. Alex Edler was another, but he, of course, has the dreaded no trade clause, meaning he's on equal footing with Jim Benning. If he doesn't want to be traded, he won't be, and he didn't want to be, which is too bad. Because not only wasn't he traded today, he hasn't signed a new deal with the Canucks, and this summer he's a free agent. So with Alex Adler, like we've negotiated in good faith uh, with him and his agent to try to get a deal done. Um, obviously, it hasn't been got gotten finished off yet. We're going to continue to work on trying to get the deal done. Um, some teams phoned in the meantime and asked about his availability. Uh, we you know, contacted the agent um, and he wouldn't waive his no trade. So there was no options for us there. But Alex has been a, a great player for us for a long time. And, you know, we'd like to continue for him to be part of our team, part of our group. And we're going to keep working towards trying to figure something out there. All right. The other trade the Canucks made today was prospect for prospect. San Jose sent forward Linus Carlson to the Canucks for Jonathan Dahlin, who wasn't happy that Vancouver never called him up at all this season, but the Canucks felt he hasn't earned it. His agent asked me a couple weeks ago if, if we could uh, move him and we could trade him, and I said, well, if, you know, if we can do a lateral move where we feel good about getting a, a, a player back that we like, we'll look to do that, otherwise we weren't going to do it. And, you know, I find young players now, sometimes they don't want to um, pay their dues, you know, in development time. They just want to be given, you know, an NHL opportunity right off the start. And we just felt that, you know, there was some development left in his game before he's ready to be given an NHL opportunity. And we felt he wasn't there yet. Okay, so here are some of the other bigger moves today. Uh, Mark Stone, probably the biggest guy left, goes to Vegas and he signed a new deal with them. Uh, Wayne Simmons and the better Granlin 
not the one we have. He goes to Nashville. Winnipeg loads up with Kevin Hayes. He helps down the middle. Gustav Nyquist and Derek Broussard going to Colorado. Some of the other moves. Oh, the Canucks do have a game tonight against Anaheim. They uh, send Zach McEwen and Merrick Mazanik back to the minors. Thatcher Demko is healthy enough to back up Jacob Markstrom. And with Good Branson gone, Luke Shen will likely get to play tonight. Uh, former Canuck, now current Columbus head coach John Tortorella. Over the years, he has had his share of viral video press conferences. They're normally not cute like the little kid Mm-mm. in the uh, story we saw a moment ago. Today's was no exception, except this time it wasn't angry Tortorella. One of the reporters taping his press conference was taping it with his phone. But the reporter's mother kept calling that same phone during the press conference until Tortorella finally decided to answer it himself. Mrs. Reed? Mrs. Reed? Hi, this is John Tortorella. I'm in the middle of a press conference here. And you're, you're, no, that's okay. I'd rather talk to you than your husband, I mean your son. So um, I'll be done in about five. I've seen you call a few times. So it's rude, of, it's rude of, yeah, it's rude of him not to call you back, but he's busy right now. It's nice talking to you. Okay, have a nice day. I, I have nothing against Travis Green, but I miss John Tortorella. He yeah. was great for the one year he was here. And he could be a nice guy. I, 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 nice I, and, guy. and he was honest as a day is long. He was great. For yeah. sure. There's no report for today. Not a lot of new snow again today, but there's blue sky right across the province. Temperatures up on Grouse and Cypress, minus 5 today. Revelstoke down to minus 14 and minus 12 in through Manning Park. Big White, Silver Star and Sun Peaks all at minus 13, but Big White and Silver Star did manage to pick up three centimeters of new snow. Kicking Horse minus 8. Powder King though very cold at minus 20. All right, we're setting up some drama for tonight because what happens in today's by-elections will no doubt give us a hint about the key dynamics going into the federal election this fall. There is a lot on the line here. And to talk more about that, I'm joined by our Legislative Bureau Chief, Keith Baldry, and all the way from Ottawa, Chief Political Correspondent David Aiken. David, we'll get to you in just a moment, but I want to start with Keith and NDP leader Jugmeet Singh's chances Mm -hmm. in the local riding of Burnaby South. Very important. Well, he has to be considered the favorite to win there, Chris, because it is an incumbent NDP seat. The NDP provincially won all four Burnaby ridings and polled very strongly in the ridings that make up the federal Burnaby South riding. Having said that, uh, he's not tracking well in the polls and hasn't been for some time since he became leader. The party has had poor fundraising uh, efforts uh, and himself is not necessarily any evidence to suggest he's resonating with voters. But nevertheless, I think he has to be considered the favorite and he's got, he basically has to win. If he loses this thing... Uh, you can expect the proverbial knives to come out within that party and call for a leadership review or a leadership resignation. It just wouldn't be pretty for him if he loses tonight. No doubt about it. David, I'll bring you back in because as important as Burnaby South is, Outremont in Quebec is even more crucial. Explain why. Right. So there's three by-elections across the country tonight. The NDP are the incumbents in two of them, Burnaby South and in Outremont, the last New Democrat to hold Outremont, that's the outgoing leader, Thomas Mulcair. He's held the riding since 2007. And when he won it in 2007, that established the NDP beachhead in Quebec. And right now, the one quarter of all the seats the NDP holds are from Quebec. 
They're likely to lose that to the liberals tonight. And that is a symbolic loss and likely is a precursor of bigger losses to come for the NDP in Quebec. Better that they hold that and the rest of the Quebec than this seat in Burnaby South, which should be an automatic NDP win. And what are the stakes, David, for Singh, win or lose in, in these elections? They're big not only for Singh, but also for conservatives. Generally speaking, conservatives don't win unless there's a strong NDP ready to peel away progressive liberal voters. So for Singh, there's definitely huge stakes. As Keith said, the knives will be out if he fails to lose. He's likely to win tonight, but not by much. And that is still going to give a lot of people in his party a pause. And it's got the conservatives uh, pulling their hair out. They need a strong NDP if they hope to compete against Justin Trudeau's liberals. Right. So looking ahead, Keith, maybe to the uh, the fall, this could be a, bell- a bellwether for what happens uh, in October. Well, I think certainly two of the, ride- two of the races tonight could be uh, bellwethers, or at least something to take away from it. First of all, uh, can the NDP, as David said, uh, have a good showing, at least if not winning Outremont, having a very strong second place? That should give them some heart. But if they fall to a distant third, that spells trouble for them in that province in the fall, in fact, probably nationally as well. Also, the People's Party, the fledgling People's Party of, uh, under Mr. Bernier, this is their first kick at the can here. If they show uh, there's evidence tonight that they've taken votes away from the Conservatives, that's got to give the Conservatives pause for concern. Also, tonight is the first time the federal Liberals will test the electorate since the whole Jody Wilson-Raybould scandal blew up. And we'll see mm-hmm. if that is much on the minds of uh, Liberal supporters as perhaps uh, media coverage would suggest. So I think there's a lot to take away from um, at least two of those races tonight. We'll be watching closely. Thanks very much, guys. We have special right. coverage of all three by-elections starting on BC1 right after the news hour.